Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ganthi, and I've got a great show lined up for you today. So like always, let's go ahead and get started with the news. Um, there is not a lot of news this week. The only thing that uh, I really found was another upcoming release uh, from a company called Datadisks. Uh, what Datadisks is, uh, it's a UK-based company that releases video game soundtracks on vinyl. Um, I've talked about them before. A few months ago, they released, I want to say, Streets of Rage 2 on vinyl, but they've done a few others. Uh, They did the uh, racing game Outrun, they've done Shenmue, um, Shinobi I think might have been the last one, I can't remember. Uh, But they've just announced another one, and unlike usual, uh, instead of there being a a pre-order where you do it and then three months later you finally get your record, uh, this is available now. So you can go out there and uh, buy this right away. This is their seventh release and it's Golden Axe 1 and 2. Um, based on their website, this is uh, the Genesis soundtrack uh, for both games, not the arcade soundtrack. They do have samples on their website. I thought they both sounded pretty good. I'm not the biggest Golden Axe fan, and I think the Golden Axe soundtrack sound a bit uh, twangy. They have that Genesis twang to them that I don't particularly enjoy. Um, I believe that comes from the Gens sound engine that Sega shipped with the Genesis development kit. Not my favorite sound in the world, but certainly these... Uh, Uh, These titles, especially Golden Axe, uh, have their fans and people that really dig the music. So if uh, if you're looking for something to hang on your wall, something to, to spin on your turntable, um, or just want to support a small business, uh, check it out, data-discs.com. I think it's .com. Every time I talk about them, I always get the website wrong and I have to correct it in the text. Uh, so I actually wrote it this time, discs with an S at the end, a hyphen in the middle, but I can't remember if it's .com or .co.uk, but it shouldn't be that hard to find. Uh, so check it out. Uh, the next thing I wanted to kind of talk about uh, was the Analog NT Mini. I always say Analog Interactive, which is wrong as well. It's Analog with a UE at the end. Analog, uh, the NT Mini versus the Retro USB AVS. Now, I've talked about both of these uh, a lot over the past few months. Both of these are FPGA-based NES clone systems. Uh, so you're getting some of the, the best uh, hardware emulation uh, that's really possible outside of some something Nintendo could do. Uh, the Retro USB AVS, I believe they've shipped review units out. Uh, YouTubers have gotten a chance to play with them and review them, uh, which is pretty sweet. Uh, that's going. Pre-orders are available now for $185, available on their website. They ship at the end of September. Uh, the Analog NT Mini doesn't come out until the beginning of next year. They say January 2017. Uh, but I kind of wanted to talk about the similarities and the differences. Uh, just to kind of have it all in one segment uh, to kind of take a look at. So again, both are FPGA-based hardware recreations or hardware emulation, however you want to look at it. Uh, That means it's going to support things like the game Genie. That means games like Castlevania 3, which have problems on clone hardware, are going to work just fine. Uh, They both support, they have two cartridge slots, uh, NES and Famicom, along with the Famicom disk systems. They have that experience 
expansion port. Uh, so they support everything. It should work with everything. Um, and they both output HDMI. Now the difference, the big differences of course are gonna be the price. Uh, the Retro USB AVS is $185, while the NT Mini is $450. And that is a pretty huge difference. Um, whether the NT Mini provides you know, additional value for you, that's a decision you can only make. I've talked about that a lot with the FrameMeister. Provides value for me. Uh, it might not provide $400 worth of value to you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, the big difference to me is the actual output. Uh, the AVS, the Retro USB AVS only puts out 720p, whereas the NT Mini puts out a full 1080p. Um, I don't actually think this makes a difference at all, if I'm completely honest with you. Uh, both of those high def standards are more than enough uh, to display every last pixel of detail coming out of an NES game. Um, and neither are the 720p is probably going to be more perfect. Um, the NES outputs a 240p signal, of course. 240 is divisible into 720 three times, perfect 3x scaling. Your TV then bumps that up to 1080p. If you're sitting six feet away, you're not gonna be able to notice a difference. Uh, versus 1080p, uh, where it's not gonna be perfect even scaling. Um, I don't know how they get around that. I don't know how uh, Analog got around that with the original NT upscaling that to 1080p. Uh, I know when I use the FrameMeister, I like to do a perfect 5x scale, uh, which means about four pixels off the top and bottom of the NES signal are wiped out, which for a majority of the library is totally fine. Uh, but there are a few games like RC Pro-M that use the entire vertical space. Uh, so 1080p, perfect 5x scaling really doesn't work um, but that's really nitpicky and technical um, I know 1080p is better than 720p uh, but when we're talking about a very uh, low resolution signal like the NES I honestly don't believe it matters um, the next difference is the NT mini the more expensive one uh, also outputs RGB video um, which may be desirable if you want to use an external scaler like the FrameMeister or if you want to hook it up to a PVM. Um, you know, that's something you're going to be able to do with the NT Mini, but not the AVS. Um, the NT Mini also outputs S video. Again, if you have an old analog television, I don't have mine. Uh, out here in the dining room anymore, but I did for a while. Uh, if you wanted to hook that up to an old CRT, again, the NT Mini is going to allow you to do that. And then uh, it also has component video. Again, if you have an awesome CRT that can take 240p over component, um, the NT Mini is going to allow you to do that. The NES stock, of course, a real NES is limited to composite output, and the NES has just really awful video output in general. There's like a weird wave every other line, uh, and it just looks kind of like garbage, if I'm honest. Even if you're playing it on a CRT and you're looking for it, like if you look at the bricks in Super Mario, uh, the bricks... Every brick should be perfectly flat, but if you actually watch them, like one part of the brick sticks out a little and it goes back and forth. It's not a good signal. Um, so even, I, I think both devices, or I guess the NT Mini would provide a value if you are a CRT gamer or a PVM gamer. A lot of outputs on that. Um, Build quality is obviously going to be very different. The NT Mini is milled out of a single block of aluminum, much like uh, an Apple product, like uh, an iPad or 
or um, an iMac, for example, um, just a really nice, beautiful piece of metal. Uh, the AVS is plastic. However, they do the power and reset buttons are actually new old stock NES buttons. I guess somewhere in China, some company must have had a bin of old power and reset buttons and they never threw them away. Uh, so the AVS actually has a real NES power and reset button, which is pretty sweet. Um, again, for most people, if it sits on your shelf, the build quality probably doesn't matter. Uh, but, you know, for some people, they want that premium device. Uh, from what I can tell, again, I'm basing this all based on the information they have on their websites. Uh, the, NE, the NT Mini comes with a wireless controller uh, versus the AVS, which I double checked their website. Uh, it doesn't seem to come with any controller. Um, so that could be kind of a bummer as well. I mean, that is a significant added cost, whether it's a, a $20 third-party one or, or $30, you know, OEM one, you know, that does, you should add that to the 185 if you're trying to, to find value there. Um, and both are upgradable. These are the FP, I believe. Well, the P in FPGA means programmable. Uh, so both of these are updatable uh, via, with the NT, it's an SD card. And then with the AVS, it's USB. So both have upgradable firmware, which is pretty sweet as well. Uh, so if, you know, uh, a more accurate um, program for the FPGA chip uh, becomes available, both would be able to, to be upgraded, which is sweet. Uh, so those are the big ones that stuck out to me. Um, again, I don't think I will be getting either of these. Maybe uh, come spring tax return time in the U.S., um, the AVS, you know, if it's still available, uh, might be something that I would really want to uh, to buy. Um, the NT Mini, as beautiful as it is, uh, it's a, too big of a leap for me uh, to spend $450 on that, uh, especially when a cheaper model is available. And especially as, you know, if a company like Hyperkin or something... Um, I mean, there's no reason they can't license this technology and make their own one for $99 and sell it at Walgreens. So that'd be sweet as well. The future is bright for NES clones. Let's just put it that way. Hope that expands to something like the Master System, the Genesis, the Super Nintendo. I think that would be really neat, really exciting. So... It's kind of the meat of the show, the analog NT versus the retro USB AVS, two exciting products. All right, the next piece of news, this is a bit uh, for you YouTubers out there uh, or anybody that's curious what I use to make this whole channel. Um, as you can see here, I have another microphone. So this will be the third different microphone I've used uh, in the past three weeks. This is... Last week, the show sounded like crap, and for that, I apologize. Uh, after I got done with the show and put that into GarageBand to clean up the audio and hit play, uh, I just sat at the screen in disbelief that there were all these pops and crack sounds, and I don't know why I did a quick test recording uh, before I started this show just to make sure I was getting stereo audio or at least dual mono audio just to make sure everything is right um, because it was new hardware. I wanted to make sure it was right and there was no issues um, and then when I sat down and did the the 35 minute show uh, it obviously all went bad and uh, I kind of stared at the screen in disbelief and then after I got over that disbelief I had to figure out uh, what I was going to do um, am I going to release the show like this or am I going to redo the entire you know 35 40 minute session all over again um, I don't know if I made the right decision or not uh, time will tell and I guess that was kind of the tipping point for me. Uh, for the most part, I'd like to look forward. So I don't want to spend 
time, um, you know, thinking about the past or worrying about the past. My goal is always, you know, two days from now, I need to make sure the next video comes out. Um, you know, there are people that look forward to those videos. There are, uh, you know, supporters of the show that deserve to have uh, content come out on a regular basis. Um, so I did release it in, you know, a substandard state um, and take that of, you know, what you will. Maybe I've made the wrong decision. I'm not sure. Uh, for me, it was a learning opportunity uh, to see what people would say. It was a learning opportunity to look at the metrics. Uh, is the retention rate going to jump you know, is the, is the retention, uh, you know, going to be uh, 10% instead of 50%, uh, you know, with those first few minutes sounding especially bad? Um, you know, it, it was an opportunity for me, I guess, to use you guys as guinea pigs and see what happens. So, again, I'm not saying I made the right decision or wrong decision. Hopefully, uh, that never happens again. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, so, with that, obviously, I had to buy a new microphone and I decided to go in a completely different direction. Uh, uh, my microphone that I loved very much, the Audio-Technica AT2020, uh, was a wonderful microphone, $100. Um, one, people might not agree everything about my channel, but everybody pretty much agreed that uh, it was professional-sounding audio. It was hard to believe that it was done with a $100 mic uh, in this echoey you know, dining room. Uh, so that was pretty sweet. Um, but with all the problems I had, I decided to go in a completely different direction and buy a very simple uh, consumer level microphone. So I bought the blue Snowball microphone right here. This is just a, a little ball. Uh, it's USB, it's not XLR. There's almost nothing you can do with this but plug it into the back of your computer. Uh, there is a switch on the back with three different settings. Um, I have it in setting three, just in case you care. Um, and the, we're gonna roll with this for a little while and see, you know, I'm gonna learn a bit about uh, how to actually properly uh, use uh, compression tools uh, in GarageBand and uh, different filters and just try things a different way. So this is $50 on Amazon, um, or you could run out to Best Buy or whatever you know electronic store you have uh, and get it for probably around $70 as well. So hopefully what I'm hearing as I edit this and what you're hearing uh, you know, in your car or at your desk or on your phone uh, is just nice, sounding audio so we shall see huh. i did uh, i actually played with this quite a bit yesterday uh to get ready for today's show so i, I rebuilt a whole new profile uh that hopefully i can just dump this into GarageBand, click a button and then uh, yeah everything sounds great what i heard yesterday sounded pretty promising so i don't know if i'll be able to have this sound as perfect and clear and crisp and professional as the old AT2020, but we shall see. And then, of course, uh, I'll, I'll probably share whatever settings I, I do find and discover, because uh, that's what I do. So... Uh, so, as I have the past few episodes, I've got a console sitting on this lamp here in the background, uh, and this is a, you actually can probably see my cat today as well. Um, I'm using a different program to record this video, so it should be actual high definition instead of a stretched uh, standard definition, uh, but whatever. I've got a Box 32X sitting on a lamp behind me. Uh, of course, if you're watching this channel, you probably discovered it because I've done so much 32X content. Uh, it's a console that I adore very much. Um, I got, I believe I got a 32X back in 1999 or 2000 uh, when I had my very first job, which was at a cheese factory, weirdly enough, and I actually finally had some 
disposable income. So anyway, uh, the 32Xs were dirt cheap back then. I believe I got mine, and I think it was the auction on eBay was listed as a Genesis Game Enhancer, and it came with a six-button Genesis controller, uh, the proper cables, uh, and it was like $12 was shipping. That's how awesome uh, collecting for the 32X was way back in 1999 or 2000. Uh, but I got this particular unit about... I think in 2008, I figured, um, and this was a store that did not specialize in retro video games. Uh, they specialized in DVD movies, and they specialized in CDs. Now, obviously, today, those are both awful markets to be in, and uh, a lot of the used media stores around me are kind of phasing those out and either going full video game or uh, tabletop gaming along with video gaming, kind of getting into something that isn't really replicated uh, digitally. Um, so this store that I bought this at, the the boxed NES that I had on the show a few weeks back as well, this store used to, if the system was boxed, it sold for the same price as the uh, unboxed unit. So after a football game, after a Packer game on a Sunday, I always like to, to head out to the stores because they were dead because everybody's watching football and uh, do my game hunting at that time. And there it was, a box 32X for $20, the same exact price they sold them used for. Um, and when I got home i was even more stunned to find that this thing was uh the box isn't in the best shape it looks nice but it's a little you know it's got bent edges and things like that but on the inside it was kind of ridiculous uh everything was pretty mint um and it even had all the paperwork so on the box of a 32x it says it comes with 60 dollars worth of uh, coupons inside and they're in there there are six coupons for ten dollars off uh six different games that were uh out at the 32x's launch or we're going to be coming out soon so virtual racing uh doom and uh, whatever else was out at the time so i still have those coupons which is pretty sweet um or for you people in the midwest coupons Alrighty, and then most of the stuff inside was still in uh, a sealed baggie. So the AV cable, which was sadly not a stereo cable, just uh, the yellow and white, uh, that was still in the baggie. The Genesis, or the 32X to um, Genesis Model 1, like the little adapter, because the Genesis 1 and 2 have different connectors for video output, that was in there, sealed, brand new in a bag. Uh, there was even the little, like the stupid little plastic thing that plugs into the side of your Genesis. Uh, the Genesis Model 2, I guess I assume the Model 1 as well, uh, have the expansion slot for the Sega CD. Um, and if it's not plugged into a Sega CD, the 32X had this thing that would plug into that connector. Uh, and it was supposed to fix some compatibility issues with, I think, Knuckles Chaotix. Uh, in my experience, it doesn't work at all, but it came with it. So I have that stupid connector that's almost impossible to find as well. Uh, so I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, 32X, I've probably told all of these stories or talked about it way too much much, but uh, one of my very favorite game systems, happy to own it complete in a box for $20, that's for sure. All right, I have just one comment or question for today's show. Uh, this I'm pretty sure was a troll comment, but uh, it got me thinking. So, OutDaft UK says, I don't even know what that means, uh, some things were popular because they were technically impressive at the time, but ultimately, not much fun, and the Atari 2600 is that. So, uh, being a retro gamer and, you know, not really knowing what a normal gamer uh, thinks of the Atari 2600, uh, I find that anybody would have that opinion uh, to be kind of a shame, um, because yes, the, the Atari 2600, certainly there are 
are many game experiences, it can't replicate that could be done on modern hardware. Uh, you know, first-person shooter being fairly obvious, realistic sports games, you know, there's a lot that it can't do. It just, it can't. Um, and that doesn't necessarily make it bad. Now, there are th- 2,600 games that I don't feel have aged very well at all. Uh, Zaxxon and um, Buck Rogers are a couple of, like, weird third-person scrolly shooty games and i find them to be kind of confusing and not much fun to play uh, other games have aged they haven't really aged at all they're still amazing miss pac-man joust uh, space invaders are just iconic classic games that play every bit as good today as they did 35 years ago or 40 years ago or whatever it is now um so yeah obviously a troll comment maybe they were being sincere i guess they didn't curse and all the words were spelled correctly <laughs> Um, But uh, what this actually really reminded me of was a documentary. Uh, For a lot of you middle-aged music fans, you've probably seen this documentary, and it was called Sound City. And if you haven't seen this documentary, I don't remember... I don't remember if it's on Netflix, Amazon, uh, or Hulu, or maybe all three at this point. I know I watched it for free. Uh, It's a documentary called Sound City, and it was about this studio that I believe started in the 60s out in California, and it was like this custom uh, analog soundboard, and some of the most iconic uh, music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, through the 2000s were recorded at the studio. Uh, Even as music recording, like we're doing now, audio recording went completely digital Uh, a lot of music was still recorded at this old analog uh, studio and it's just a fascinating well put together documentary if you're into movies if you're into documentaries or if you're into music or the 2600 you should go watch this documentary it's amazing really really amazing uh, but something I think it's David Grohl I hope his first name is Dave or David I don't remember uh, he was in Nirvana he was in Foo Fighters um, he said something like very interesting that really stuck out and kind of never left like the one thing I took out of it uh, was he said something along the lines of you know if it's important to to kind of listen to what your favorite bands listen to what inspired them uh, so you know a lot of the music that we listen to you know if the artist is in their 30s or 40s they probably grew up you know listening to the Beatles or you know Taylor Swift I'm sure grew up listening to to Michael Jackson and it's kind of fun and important to to go back and listen to you know what your heroes were inspired by and kind of work your ba- way backwards and, and see where that all came from and how it came to be um, and that's what this comment reminded me of um, it you know, I'm sure a lot of the first-person shooters that are developed today, the people that, you know, created those probably grew up on Wolfenstein and Doom, and it would be fun to, you know, go back and figure it out, figure out, you know, what did John Carmack play? What got his, you know, what got him the gaming or programming itch? And go back and revisit that. Um, it's some, I'm sure a lot of the, the older developers in Japan, you know, it was probably Space Invaders that got them into it. Um, and some of the younger people maybe it was super mario brothers or sonic the hedgehog or resident evil or mega man or anything uh to me it's important to not forget those things and it's even more important to to kind of trace that back what inspired what how did we get here how did my favorite you know um who made gears of war um gosh can't remember his name it was on the tip of my tongue or uh tip of my mind i can't think of it now blazinski something maybe you know what inspired him and you know if 
if he made Gears of War and you did Gears of War, uh, you know, go back to the 90s. What was it? Cliff? Cliff Blazinski, maybe? Go back and, you know, play those games from the 90s that inspired him. I, th- I think that is really important uh, to not forget the roots. This is pretty well... Um, it's a lot easier with movies because there's so many, you know, it's just a much older medium, but uh, it is fun to go back and watch Citizen Kane. Uh, it is fun to go back and watch 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, and see these movies that might have inspired Steven Spielberg or David Cameron. God, I hope his name is David. James Cameron? Sounds more right. James Cameron. Uh, and, and, you know, what inspired them? Maybe I should be checking that out. Maybe that's going to inspire me. Uh, maybe playing Space Invaders on the Atari 2600 will inspire somebody new to do something great and amazing. So check out Sound City, the documentary. Amazing, amazing movie. Uh, One of the best I've seen over the last, I don't know when it came out, actually. Uh, Someone at work uh, told me I should check it out, and it happened to be, I think, on Hulu for free. So me and my wife watched it, and amazing. Alrighty, the next comment comes from Hello's World, who says you don't have the Atari 2600 RGB mod. Uh, I, today, right now, don't have any modded systems. Uh, Nothing I own at the moment is modded. Um, All the mods I've ever done in the past were done myself and usually very basic. Um, So I did an S-Video mod on a Genesis 3, and then uh, I added some composite outputs on a TI-99 and a Master System, and that's pretty much it. <clears throat> I don't have any RGB modded systems. Uh, so like my N64 will always, I will always play with this video. I just don't have that much interest in doing the RGB mod. The The 2600 looks like garbage. Uh, the composite or the, the RF out through a VCR looks terrible and I kind of like it that way. Um, not that there's anything wrong with modding. Um, however, that said, I do like how in today's day and age, there's a lot of devices you can buy that kind of bypass mods. Uh, so the first one, of course, being the PowerBase Mini FM. So this is from DB Electronics. Uh, you can buy this packaged version from Stone Age Gamer. Uh, these go in stock every now and again. I happen to catch one, buy it, and it's fantastic. Uh, so basically, this is a PowerBase converter for the Genesis, only it has the uh, the FM sound unit inside. So you don't have to mod your master system uh, with an FM board uh, or import a Sega Mark III. You can just buy this and it's real it's not emulation it's a real fm sound unit uh and you play it right through your genesis so i have beautiful rgb i have the amazing fm sound which i really dig uh if you've been watching classic game room lately uh, mark has been showcasing some of that fm sound um Aleste in particular power strike sounded amazing i love it um i've talked about a lot of the fm music uh in past videos so you should check that out five videos with fm sound and five more videos with fm sound uh, really awesome stuff. So, and another one here, which I will eventually get to and make a video. I forget what this is called. Um, this right here, let's see if I can get this on video, plugs into the back of a TurboGrafx-16 or a uh, PC Engine or a Super Graphics and gives you RGB and S-Video. So right here is a Genesis 2 uh, video port, red, green, blue. And this is an S-Video port, which I use and it works and it's great. And then this is just standard composite, which the, the Turbo and the... Uh, PC Engine natively output. It's sort of just like a pass-through. But yeah, this plugs into the back, and then I have an RGB mod, and I didn't even have to open my... I didn't even have to open my... 
super graphics. The stuff like this I really dig. I think that's really cool. Um, someday I will get the right cable so I can do a FrameMeister profile for the PC Engine. Uh, we'll get there when we get there. Um, so that's what I really like uh, instead of mods. I, I love these little devices that we get now thanks to technology um, and thanks to, I don't, I don't know how people make this stuff and engineer it. It's just a complete mystery to me. I guess we can thank the internet for that. Uh, so that, uh, thanks guys both for the comment. So this is going to bring us to the cheap game segment of today's program. Now collecting retro games or buying retro games can be expensive, uh, but it doesn't have to be. There's a lot of cheap games out there uh, for you to buy. So I'm going to recommend two games. Both I paid less than five, five or less for. One goes for more than that today. The other is still less than that. And uh, both are worth your time. So this right here is Batman Returns on the Sega CD. I paid $5 for this. You can't see it on the sticker. It's got the manual and everything. Um, I actually made a video uh, about buying this about five years ago. I think it was the 2011 Midwest Gaming Classic. For some reason, one of the vendors was selling a complete inbox Batman Returns for the Sega CD for $5. Uh, and even back then, that price was a little low. Uh, boxed and complete like this uh, go for between $20 and $30. Uh, a loose disc, disc only, goes for about $10. The this takes the Sega Genesis game uh, Batman Returns, which was kind of a lackluster uh, action game, um, and adds these amazing 3D driving sections. Now, this isn't uh, 3D like polygons. This is all sprite scaling. Um, and after playing this game, like if you if somebody really tried uh, to make the Sega CD do some awesome sprite scaling, uh, it can turn out really, really well. You look at something like um, Sonic CD, those 3D stages have a really low frame rate and they kind of just give you a bad impression of what the Sega CD is capable of. Batman Returns driving sections are simply awesome. They, they're by the game just to play those, see what the Sega CD can do. Uh, they're, brutal, br they're, they're brutally difficult. I'd recommend using a guide to figure out how you're supposed to beat the bosses because it's not always obvious. And uh, just be prepared to die a lot. But my God, is this game pretty and really shows off what the Sega CD can do. Just, just really amazing. Soundtrack too, really amazing. Uh, you can play this game with driving stages only and just skip that action game altogether. So, Batman Returns, Sega CD. Uh, this game, is, I paid $4.99 for. <laughs> Um, I thought I got this from a thrift shop, uh, but I guess not. I was at a thrift shop, gosh, probably at the beginning of the year, and they had somebody had dumped off a box of Genesis games, and there were a ton of uh, sports games, of course, uh, and then there was a ton of Virgin Disney games, and then there was um, I actually bought Streets of Rage 2 loose for like five bucks or four bucks or something like that. Very cool. Um, that's what I thought this was, but it wasn't. So it's Lion King on the Genesis now. Not the biggest fan of The Lion King on the Genesis, but it, this game is like less than $5. You could go on eBay now, get a copy with shipping for $4 or less all day. Uh, great selling game, not a lot of demand, uh, much like Aladdin, just a very cheap Disney game. Uh, but this is a game that I will beat someday, and I suspect after I finally beat the damn game, uh, I will have enjoyed it a lot more than the struggle it took to get to that point. 
This game is beautiful. Uh, the soundtrack is outstanding. Some of the best Genesis music I've ever heard. It's, it's really incredible. Uh, but the gameplay is very trial and error based. Now, this came out in the mid-90s. I expect trial and error gameplay on the NES. Games like Ninja Gaiden, Castlevania, that's just the way it was. But once you could beat the game, it took 35 minutes and that was that. Um, by the mid-90s, I expect a little more from my game design. So if you played The Lion King in the 90s as a kid, you probably love this game. Uh, if you are not well-versed in trial and error platformers from the late 80s, you probably would hate this game or do hate this game. Uh, but for $5, again, much like Batman Returns, just to see what developers were able to get out of the aging hardware in, in itself uh, it is worth the price of admission. Just stunning. Gameplay, very average. And uh, if you get frustrated very easily, I would just avoid it altogether. Or if you are a glutton for punishment and are okay with that gameplay style, then actually you'll probably dig it quite a bit. So those are my picks. Batman Returns for the Sega CD, the line Lion King for the Genesis or Super Nintendo is fine as well. Used to own that. I've sold the Lion King, bought it, sold it a million times trying to get into it. Um, I haven't beat the game yet. I think I've gotten about 75 to 80% through. Someday we'll get over that hump. <laughs> but that, of course, is going to do it for today's show. So if you are watching the show and you would like to listen to it like a normal podcast, I've got links to the RSS feed, the iTunes, and the Google Play in the description below. It's also now available on Stitcher. So if you do the Stitcher thing in your car or whatever, uh, it's available that way. And then if you're listening to the show and you'd like to watch it, see what I'm pointing at or holding up, or uh, watch any of the other videos I do each and every week, check out the YouTube channel youtube.com slash implant games and until next time guys have a great week